What is up, everybody? This is Ryan here for the Scale Up Show. I have Jamie Shanks on, who is a founder of Pipeline Signals. Has trained over 250,000 sales and marketing folks on social selling. And something really unique about him is he's presently at about a million in revenue, how he's bootstrapping and some really, really unique things he's done to build out a pipeline machine, I should say, as well as a marketing machine for very, very low cost. So you're not going to want to miss this. Definitely different than a lot of other episodes that I've talked about. We get really deep into the granular aspects of formulating a cost-efficient team, how he does it, and specifically what it takes to make it happen. So check it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome everybody to the Scale Up Show. This is your host, Ryan Staley, and I have a very special guest with me today. I have Jamie Shanks. Jamie is a founder and CEO of Pipeline Signals. He actually previously had a company called Sales for Life, where he trained over 250,000 sales and marketing professionals in social selling. Uh, on top of it, too, he's taking on the world with this new venture, which I'm really excited to dig into, that he's bootstrapping after a friend and family around. Jamie, welcome. Happy to have you on the show, man. Ryan, thank you so much for the invite. Yeah, man, looking forward to it. Um, love chopping up just you know some of your, your past and kind of what you're working on right now in the pre-show. And so, uh, but let's get into it, man. Before we get into kind of your backstory, what you're working on now, let's get into you know kind of where you're at in the stage of the journey. So, where are you guys at in terms of your ARR? We're a million ARR uh, at Pipeline Signals. We launched this company technically incorporated I think May or June of 2021. Took on our first customers really at the beginning of 2022, and uh, we're scaling towards profitability this year. And as you mentioned, we're we're bootstrap founders, so we live within our means. Awesome, man. So walk us through like what's your primary revenue growth go to market strategy then? So we have um, it's an interesting story because I did it in reverse of what I did at Sales for Life. And I think I did things some really well and some things I wish I had a time machine and wish I could redo. So in Sales for Life, I'm going to back up the story just so you understand the context. Sales for Life, a global sales training company, I invented and pioneered the word social selling, scaled it to 600 global customers. It did not build an outbound sales motion. It only built an inbound sales motion. Okay. So we invested over indexed, over invested in content marketing. That actually had me wake up five, six years into the business in a financial pickle because my costs of customer acquisition had ballooned as my marketing spend was $800,000 a year. So it was just an insane but highly productive machine, just not a profitable machine. So long of the short, when we incorporated Pipeline Signals, my business partner Omar and I decided to do it in reverse. How about we, based on what we teach, let's build an account-based outbound sales machine first. Mm -hmm. Then we'll go back and build the content marketing machine, the inbound machine second. And uh, this worked. So we build an outbound machine using two vehicles. One, LinkedIn messaging. I have a network of 20,000 first degree connections of CROs and CMOs. Number two, a series of email campaigns that go out to a variety of different lists um, that are deployed using both in-house talent and agency talent. So that's how we primarily scaled in 2022. K 
came to wish we had co-invested in content marketing because it's like planting a tree. Best time to do it was obviously 20 years ago. Second best time was today. So now we've built a marketing team where we're really heavily investing in what we'll call content domination. That will take a year or two to bear fruit. So those are the two go-to-market. We are a direct motion, like as in we don't use a channel ecosystem, inbound and outbound balance going forward. Okay. Love that, ma'am. Well, I want to definitely chat that up with you because I mean, that's highly interesting with the way you're doing it, especially at the stage of the journey. So I'd love to hear lessons learned and uh, kind of what you're running into that's working well. And then what, what's, what's uh, you know, one of those things that is kind of got your head scratching. So can you walk through your solution in a couple sentences, just explain what it does and who it serves? Yeah, it does two things uh, in part and parcel. Part A is we identify customers on the move or any job change that matters to you so that you can get there during the window of change. So, the, But the best sales play is the customer on the move and they move into other customers, prospects, Greenfield, and so forth. So that's part A, sales intelligence that is routed into your CRM for engagement. Part B is to enable your sellers to turn these leads into sales qualified leads. And this is those soft skills that are often forgotten that the sellers ask, well, what do I do next? Mm -hmm. We are a full enablement function as well to really handhold the sellers to and the accountability to creating opportunity. Awesome. So the training and the implementation, as well as the uh, automated process as well. So love that, man. Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I mentioned that you were bootstrapped. You took a friends and family around. So, so we kind of talked through that a little bit. How large is your team right now? We are a team of 25. Now, that will seem odd for anybody doing reverse math on a million ARR. That doesn't make a lot of sense. So years and years ago at Sales for Life, my business partner, Amar, and I, um, did, took a bet, took a flyer on this idea that we can create greater operating leverage by partnering with talent offshore. And so our company has teammates globally in Philippines, Bangladesh, India, and it's like our second superpower. And so we have a marketing team in Bangladesh, a customer success team in the Philippines, a DevOps team in India. So we are a huge proponent of this is the future of growth that allows for profitability and great operating leverage. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of opportunities. I mean, I sat, I was at a SaaS CEO event uh, ranging. I would say most of the attendees were probably between that one and 10 million range. And um, one of the unique things, one of the, the speakers talked about, they actually showed up the cost per employee per country, right? Like the average salary and all the countries you mentioned were in like the highly capital efficient category, right? And, you know, there's other ones that you look at like New York or Silicon Valley, and they're just like through the roof. So um, not saying that you don't need a good blend or mix of it. But, you know, one of the things is there's a lot of opportunities to do kind of what you're doing to leverage that in a, a really capital efficient manner. Um, of those hires, though, Jamie, I guess, what would you say? And I don't want to put you on the spot here. But of uh, what, what would you say is like, out of all those those hires that you have, which ones are you getting the most bang for the buck or the most productivity, I guess, for the per dollar, I guess you could say, uh, when you're kind of looking at those? Yeah, so in order of operations, we started with an outbound demand generation model. That team is based out of the Philippines. So you have a team leader 
and a series of BDRs and data analysts that fuel, think of them as LDRs. So in essence, the sales play is the LDRs or data analysts find signals on behalf of prospects that we want to target. They hand that sales intelligence to the BDRs who then message chief revenue officers, chief marketing officers with that sales intelligence. Hey, John, did you notice that your customer, and we're reverse engineering their case study page, customer A just moved to potential prospect B, check this out. And it's really what we're doing is leaning into what's called the time for knowledge exchange. So we are giving you knowledge you don't already know in exchange for your time, a meeting booked. So that's highly effective because now you have teammates in, in the Philippines who are typically three to five times the fractional cost of somebody here in North America, not even including New York and, and California. We're talking right. about like middle America. So it allows a lot of leverage of scalability. That uh, is what we, the play that we've really leaned in on 2022. In 2023 and beyond, we built a marketing department in Bangladesh, and that's full stack from content to SEO to graphic design. Um, and that will really bear its fruit in the end of 23 into 24. But uh, its operating leverage is massive. It takes only one customer to pay for the entire month's operating expense of that entire marketing team. So as you can see, it can be a flywheel that's self-propelling uh, uh, at scale. So, well, then what is that, man? So like, what what would you spend on a team like that then to have an entire marketing team out of Bangladesh? Because I've never, I don't want to say I've never heard of that. I mean, I've heard of resources, but never a whole team structure out of that. So like, what would, what would you spend on something like that? $2,000 a month, USD. Wow. So think of here's the op, here's the operating leverage. So I'm a Canadian corporation. I get a thirty percent tailwind because I charge in USD. This is the beauty of Canadian companies. You charge in USD. You pay uh, partners like myself, my business partner uh, Amar. We're paying ourselves in Can uh, Canadian dollars. So there's a thirty percent spread, and then you FX into countries like India, Bangladesh, Philippines, and the spread you know in Bangladesh is five to ten x. So yeah, our team in Bangladesh, six teammates, uh, $2,000 a month, running the entire organic content marketing strategy that you can imagine. We are yet to dabble into paid. So this is really on the organic side of the house of, of content marketing. Um, and, and that's the type of leverage that you can achieve. And don't judge us on where we look today when this podcast comes out. Rewatch this one year from now and ask yourself, Wow, look at the gains possible through something like this. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, I'm a believer, man. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I guess like the one thing that I've heard from and this these are some people that are very well respected, like top content producers. One of them was I did a private call with Mr. Beast YouTube guy, and he's like for certain functions, you don't want to outsource to foreign countries because sometimes there's there's challenges lost in the the language and messaging. Have you run into any challenges with that at all due to those pieces or, or do you just kind of outsource some of the more mechanical pieces and then leverage some, you know, onshore people for, for those, I guess, dialect-specific challenges, if you will? Yeah, you start in order of operations. So I, uh, we call it level ones, twos, and threes. So a level one, 
executes a playbook that's already been designed. So think of creating a standard operating procedure. So let's, as an example, let's use um, 2D animators for marketing. So you already have your branding guidelines. You already have your, st- your style for 2D animation. It's plug and play. Mm-hmm. That should be offshored instantaneously. Next is team leads, level two. These are people that are will take over a department, take over a strategy, and they'll only make incremental gains or changes. They're not actually innovating beyond you as founders or you as the ELT of a business. But that uh, is great for, again, running a, a, a cohort of your marketing team, the entire organic content marketing team or demand generation team. And then where we've now accelerated into is the level three. This is where we have a team leader in Bangladesh who's better, faster, cheaper, smarter than we are and could ever be. Coming up with content initiatives and marketing strategy that I couldn't even conceive. That's a rarer breed. So you really, you start in order of operations. You take anything that has already been documented in standard operating procedure and you do an operating leverage benchmark against the talent you have onshore versus offshore. Then you move to team leader. Then you get creative. It doesn't mean your CMO. Your CMO might sit here in North America. Your head of customer success might sit in North America. But then they have executors in level two and th- one and two who are offshore. Yeah. Okay. Awesome, man. Love that. Very capital efficient. Um, so I, I guess... Jamie, then like, what's the outcome you're looking for? And I know you're saying that's, it's obviously a long tail, right? It's something you got to build momentum and start planting the seeds today. So like, what's the outcomes you're, you're driving towards, or I should say the KPIs you're driving for monthly uh, for that to get that machine rolling? And then like, what's the outcome you're looking for in 12 months from now? Yeah. So if you look at our, uh, we're a huge believer in the EOS model. So we have a vision, a vision traction organizer that we look at as our quarterly rocks, our annuals, our three and five year horizon. So being very transparent, um, quarterly rocks now is ensuring that we are profitable. Controlling our own destiny is most important in these times where everybody seemed to have been swimming underwater, raising massive amounts of capital. That's not controlling your own destiny. So control our own destiny where we have happy customers, providing incredible service, so great net retention revenue, so that we get to profitability. The next goal for us uh, has always been mission 100. Mission 100 customers, and at 100 customers, that is a real testament to product market fit. Um, and now we can, we've got this kind of stable platform. And then the long-term play is, um, ultimately, I'd love to get to a million dollars a month MRR, and I believe that what's coming about in this sales intelligence space is that we're all a piece to a puzzle. So if you look at sales intelligence, it comes in in a variety of different formats, from buying intent to product usage to uh, job changes or customers on the move. These are all just elements to the sales intelligence puzzle. I think over time, there'll be acquisitions that plug us feature set type businesses in so that sellers are much more well-rounded in their sales intelligence story. Okay, excellent, ma'am. I love that rhythm.
this is Ryan here. Real quick, if you are enjoying this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a comment or review. If you want more help or just want to learn more about what the top SaaS CEOs and founders are doing, check out my website at www.ryanstaley.io. Join my newsletter. Check out other free content resources I have there. And let me know if you want to scale your business. Now back to the episode. Let's shift gears now. So we, we hit a lot on the marketing and, and obviously your expertise is in that, that, that social selling based on you training over 250,000 sales and marketing folks on that. And it sounds like you're leveraging that with starting with the outbound first uh, for your business. And so we'd just love to get into, you know, now that you've trained all those people, you've done your previous business, what are you doing in terms of like approaching it from a, a clean slate, you know, from a, a year and a half ago or two years ago, basically, uh, to now and how are you approaching it for customer acquisition? Yeah. So ultimately we used, uh, we'll talk about it from how we acquire customers then how we're enabling our customers. How we acquire customers, we looked at a singular sales play that we were teaching sales professionals at Sales for Life. We called it the sphere of influence. So imagine... I've got a can of, I don't even know what this is, like yellow drink. <laughs> and <laughs> let's pretend that you're a happy customer. What we teach sellers to do is to reverse engineer the ideal customer profile of people who work inside that business, who up and leave and go to other businesses. Or they work there still today. Your advocates or your fans still work there today, but who do they know? So this was the genesis of the idea of the called the sphere of influence. Now what we're doing is just building that at scale for ourselves. So what did we do? We looked at my LinkedIn profile, 20,000 first degree connections. Where have these CROs and CMOs left a paid, happy sales for life customer and moved on? Now we can, in an essence, cross sell them or upsell them the pipeline signal story. Where are people starting new jobs as CROs and CMOs? And so we've just been doing all this relationship heat mapping. So that's the first component to this, is understanding the relationship between people who know and like us and mm-hmm. where they've gone and do they fit the ideal customer profile for us. For us, we're selling into SaaS businesses, IT or tech-enabled services, and then professional services. I think that's a very untapped market is the professional services space. So, you know, The relationship game and monitoring customers on the move go very hand in hand in that space. And so long of the short is we've built a total addressable market of tens of thousands of companies. And now the next decision-making point is the mediums of communication. And we have chosen to focus on email and to focus in on LinkedIn as our primary sources. Now, one of the questions that you asked me was trials and tribulations. What got us going is we started messaging at scale inside my LinkedIn profile at, at scale. <laughs> then we got slapped by LinkedIn. Oh yeah. And yeah. so that, so we booked an endless supply of sales qualified leads. Unfortunately, that is a, not a long tail opportunity. That is short sightedness. So got us going, got us all the customers we have now, got us a lot of the customers we have now, but now it's diversifying the messaging to more of an email centric and eventually a paid model as well. So we would do retargeting and paid ads against these very people, mm-hmm. use email, paid, and LinkedIn, you know, um, uh, in-mails messaging 
as our communication. We have decided at this point to not invest on the cold calling side of that communication engine uh, for now, uh, but that might come in the future. So I hope that answered your question of um, the mindset yeah. and then the toolkit we're using. Yeah, no, I like that, man. I mean, so what? why did you decide not to invest in the, the cold calling side? And I think I know what your answer is going to be, but I want to ask anyways. No, well, uh, cold calling seems to have uh, got a bit of a 2.0 resurgence. Um, obviously, I came from the cold calling world. I was in commercial real estate. That was my bread and butter. I was so good with cold calling as an individual contributor. As I became a business owner, it became more difficult to scale. And at the time, in the 2010s, it was having a real diminishing return on investment. Like it, it, There was no value proposition there in my humble opinion. I think that social selling highly outperformed cold calling for the longest period of time. Now it does appear that it's having a bit of a resurgence, but that would be that would require a retooling of both my skills and my sales team skills. And so I think a better use of our time is focusing on what we can control, what we know well. So we're focusing, and when you're also using offshore talent, that allows you one form of uh, medium of communication less depending on where you've hired that talent, which cold calling doesn't fit naturally into that model. So email and LinkedIn is a better model. Okay, that makes sense. And that's kind of where I thought you were going with it. So walk me yeah. through like how you structure your team and the concept that you're talking about for time for money or time for, yeah, time for money basically is what you're saying. Your value exchange. Actually, uh, time for knowledge exchange. Oh, time for knowledge exchange. That's what I'm saying. Walk me through the time for knowledge yeah. change and the team structure. And we just love to understand that because it's an interesting concept. Yeah, the, and the time for knowledge exchange is actually the body of the messaging being used. I'm going to pretend for a moment that you, in fact, are the prospect okay, and cool. I am the seller. But I'll then structure the team. So the structure of the demand gen team is, is quite simple. It's two types of people. It is an SDR who is the executor of the messaging. Of course, there's technology that can do this, but the challenge with technology is it's getting blacklisted into people's spam folders at an alarming rate. So sellers are hitting the easy button in sales loft, yeah. outreach, and groove. You can't really figure out why they're not landing in the primary inbox. There's a whole science behind that. And if uh, you know a good plug for a company uh, called Lead Magic is really kind of solving that problem for people. So we use human beings sending real personalized messages. So that's that's a layer of human beings sending a personal message via email and LinkedIn. But to gather that intelligence, this is a really important learning, I think, for sales leaders in demand gen. If you look at the uh, time spent of a BDR, we want to take away the, f the $5 an hour tasks and have them only do $500 an hour value creation. And what I mean by that is every moment a BDR is trying to find great sales intelligence to send to you, the prospect, mm -hmm. is a moment that they're not prospecting. So we've separated those two roles. Role number one, we'll call it the LDR or the data analyst, goes on a company's website, would go on your company website, scour your case study page, reverse engineer your ideal customer profile and your customer base, Look for people who leave your customer base and go to prospects or presume prospects because we don't know your CRM. 
and then create messaging for the BDR that says, John Smith left Apple six months ago and just left and joined Microsoft two weeks ago. He, he or she is now the director of product management. Here's an opportunity for you. Here's a link to their LinkedIn profile. So that's what the LDRs do. They package that up. They give it to the BDRs. And now the BDRs are armed with intelligence to just execute. And the time for knowledge exchange means that if I'm trying to book a meeting with you, I have to give you a piece of insight or knowledge you don't already know in an exchange for earning the right to 30 minutes of time that you have. And the only way that you as a busy professional are going to give up that 30 minutes of time is you, somebody has to give you something so valuable that you say, the opportunity cost of not knowing more of this, I've got to know more. And so we have to give insights that people go, oh man, how did you find this intelligence? This is incredible. Yeah, I'll, I'll meet you next Thursday because I got to see how you do this at scale. So that's the time for knowledge exchange. We are finding data sets that they, the customer or prospect, can't find themselves to give them the opportunity cost of what they're missing. Love that, man. So, yeah, I mean, that's a good and it's a really good approach because you're basically proving out your product before they even meet with you. Right. And then they're like, oh, this is interesting. And then um, especially if you do like the extra work of actually providing the name and the contact in the account, right? And there's there's a lot of different ways you could do it. Uh, have, have there been other, and I, I love the concept of that, man. So um, for, uh, t- time to value. So time for value, I should say. So any other examples that you've seen work really well outside the one you just kind of mentioned in terms of the job change? No, I mean, that is the singular outbound sales play. Now, what we're doing is diversifying our weekly messages into other things you know, creative storytelling around relationship heat mapping or sales enablement, those are still in in test mode. The one thing that we know opens doors is I give you free signals. You see the opportunity cost of discovering more. You book meeting with me. So that is the, you know, when you're a startup, you lean in and, you know, this is good advice that had been given to me now that I'm a second time founder is all the way from zero to 10 million ARR, you might only find two or three sales plays ever that really hit a home run. And the other 97 are lukewarm or garbage. And it's amazing how true that is. We, you'll experiment till the cows come home, but there'll only be like two or three things that really seem to work. And so we're just leaning in on that. Yeah, no, it's awesome, man. What, so what kind of results are you getting from that? Cause that's, I mean, that's, I'd be curious on that take, like in terms of conversion percentages and, you know, in terms of outreach, conversion percentages, close rates, like what's the end result of the extra customization like that? Yeah. So working backwards, our SQL to close ratio fluctuates between 20 and 25%. So that means that we're still working on refining our demo story and our storytelling and so forth, but it's a healthy close rate. And then in the acquisition, of uh, of that SQL, uh, that's still fluctuating as well, but that could run somewhere in the one to five percent range okay. uh, of messages uh, messages sent uh, to meetings booked, and that d- depends on their seasonality. We're still discovering things such as seasonality, 
That could be uh, ideal customer profiles is that CROs versus CMOs versus demand gen. Um, that could be on the accuracy or the decay rate of the signal we found. So is it super relevant and very timely or was it of a signal from months ago? Still in learning mode. Yeah, no, it's good, man. You're, I mean, you're always learning. You're always testing and, and validating no matter what stage of the business you're in, right? Because things definitely change. And I could see that where the... The seasonality would have a big fact, uh, big effect, right? Because like I've even seen that, you know, I've seen uh, situations where revenue leaders have like kind of the oh shit moment, like once they finish up the year, right? And they start, they start the next year and they look at the number they got to hit and they're like, the pipeline's not going to match this. Like, you got to move the gap. It maps to the same world that I had for Sales for Life for 10 years. So essentially, as you approach the beginning of a new year, there's a massive uh, influx on tools and enablement to prepare the team for the next year. Then they get their Q1 results. Then there's a huge influx in April. Everybody goes, oh my God, I'm so far behind plan. And then there's another influx that happens in the summer when they realize, I don't want my sellers sitting on their hands and golfing all day. I need to give them something to prepare for the big Q4 push. Yeah, that makes sense, man. That makes sense. That's a good. That's a good cycle. So we're just about up on time. But you know, one of the things that you're obviously looking at signals and and what's happening in the space. What do you see as the future of sales enablement and kind of sales tech that's happening over the next three to five years outside of the consolidation you mentioned? That is is kind of the biggest trend or pattern of where things are going. I actually think that. Uh, what you just said is part two is the big trend. So what I believe in my heart of hearts, and this is the big bet that I'm making. So if you look at the hustle being sold to HubSpot, you look at Milk Road just being sold to, I can't remember who. Um, you look at Sales Hacker being sold to Outreach. I believe in my heart of hearts that technology companies during the boom times, didn't have to look at their CX process and their enablement process with great scrutiny because customers had all the money in the world. They're buying tools, they're growing, they're scaling. Now, net retention revenue is the golden standard to which all of these big platform sales and marketing tools are being kind of judged upon. And the human experience of once the customer buys your tool, now what? Like that's the big question. What do I do and now what? And we're seeing slowly that big tech, whether it's MarTech or sales tech, are looking at, I need to build an in-house pro-serve team. I need an, a massive enablement team or customer success. We need to en engulf our customers in all kinds of love and experience and experiments that we weren't doing before. We were just selling them tools and Maybe those tools turn into shelfware. So the big bet is there's a hybrid between the technology and massive amounts of enablement. And that's why we're investing heavily on the enablement side so that in the future of acquisitions, companies will say, I need to have people hand-holding our customers. We've got these great tools, but they're falling on the swords once they have them. And we need to invest there. So that's my big bet is that there'll be massive uh, consolidation over the next five years of pro serves 
consulting firms, pro-serves, and tech companies. Hmm. That's interesting, man. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, and literally, like, I've personally experienced this is like, it's, it's so easy to buy solutions now. It's so easy to buy software. And the price is coming down, right? It's being democratized. And at the same time, yep. <clears throat> so there's a proliferation of that for every single thing that you could potentially do. Uh, and so what happens in, in, in I've realized this, I literally saw a post and commented on it this morning on LinkedIn about, you know, how come companies buy so many tools, but they don't actually use them? You know what I mean? It happens all the time. And like, I looked at myself personally, I'm like, I know why. It's like, I, I, I'm, I'm building like half built bridges or bridges that are 90% and I'm not doing that last 10 to 15%, which is when I really, really get the juice of like what I'm spending my time on or using the tool, but because I'm just like, all right, now onto the next thing. Right. And I hit the more button instead of the better button. And, um, that changes everything. So. And, and I think the, the, there'll be a retooling of the financial engineering. So, Look at the 2010s. A software company is valued on ARR. <clears throat> Could be 5, 10, 15 times ARR. And they would say, I'm not going near a ProServe, which is valued on EBITDA, but are profitable. Yet, the new metric is net retention revenue. So if the software company can do anything it can to retain the customers it has, and even do a little upsell and cross-sell, then the financial engineering serves in a couple points. One, you just protected NRR. Number two, you just ingested a profitable company, which in fact can add real cash into the bottom line, which most software companies are losing money. So there's an economic incentive too, where the, the uh, if you think about it as like some form of arbitrage, um, where you're buying a company with a much lower valuation, ProServe, into SaaS, and it serves all the SaaS metrics that you need it to, to do. NRR mm -hmm. protection, profitability, and so forth. Awesome, man. Love it. So where can people find you? Where can they find more about Pipeline Signals? And then we'll wrap it up, man. Yeah, go to PipelineSignals.com. Connect with me on LinkedIn. I should be the only Jamie Shanks that looks like this. And um, happy to talk sales intelligence, prospecting, social selling. Like These are the bread and butter. Awesome, man. Well, it was a real pleasure to have you on the show. And I love how you're you're doing things in a, a capital efficient manner. You're practicing what you preach. And uh, I think, you know, value for time concept, love that and just the explanation of it. So thanks for being on, man. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right. And we will see you all on the next episode. Thank you for checking out the Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.